Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast. And I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics. And you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. Did y'all know that much like we have a gut microbiome, we also have a skin microbiome, which means we have tons of beneficial bacteria on our skin that protect us from pathogens. And did you also know that when you use harsh soaps and chemicals on your body, it can it can kill those bacteria and it can also create other imbalances, pH imbalances, et cetera, within the skin microbiome. So when I learned this information a couple of years ago, I stumbled upon Alivia skincare, and we have been using it exclusively ever since. So Alivia has body cleanser, so it's like a body wash. My entire family uses it, and not only actually do we use it on our skin as body wash, but we also use it for our hair. Like I don't have shampoo for my kids. I use Alivia for my kids. And I love Alivia because not only does it smell amazing, but it's 100% natural and organic. It's non-toxic. It's free of all artificial fragrances and dyes. It's environmentally friendly. And it's not a soap. It is a prebiotic body cleanser. So it actually helps support and nourish that skin microbiome. And it works so well, especially if you have sensitive skin. It can help with eczema, pariasis, body acne, things like that. We love the green tea honeysuckle scent. It smells heavenly. It's so amazing. I usually stock up and get like five bottles at a time so that I can get free shipping. And they last a really long time. Like five or six bottles will last me, my whole family, about a year or so. So you can go to alivia.com. That's A-L-E-A-V-I-A.com and use the code TaylorK15 and that will save you 15% off of all of your Alivia orders. If you appreciate this podcast, if you have found any of the episodes valuable for you, I would so appreciate if you would leave me a review, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. The reviews actually help people see more. Hey everyone, welcome. Today we have an amazing episode. Today I know you're going to learn so much from it. I have Andrea Davis joining me to chat about screen time and the importance of setting screen time boundaries as a family. Andrea Davis is a former secondary ed teacher turned screen time navigator. She is the founder of Better Screen Time, where she shares family-tested ideas from the tech trenches as a mom of five. She's on a mission to help parents worry less about tech and connect more with their kids. Andrea and her husband Tyler live in a beautiful Hood River in beautiful Hood River, Oregon, where they love spending time outdoors as a family. This is a really informative episode. I think it's about a really important topic that parents need to be thinking about. So without further ado, let's get to the episode. 
Hi, everyone. Welcome. Today, I am so excited to have Andrea Davis here with us to talk about screen time. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to be here, Taylor. Thanks for having me. Of course. I would love if you could just give us kind of an introduction of who you are, how you got started with better screen time. Tell us about yourself. Yes. So my name is Andrea Davis. I'm the founder of Better Screen Time. I am also a mom of five. My oldest is 17. My youngest is seven. I have four girls and one boy. And uh, in a former life, I was a teacher. I taught junior high. And then I stayed home with my kids for many, many years. And as uh, time passed and my youngest well, it was about the time my youngest was born. We were at Purdue. My husband was working on his PhD there. And I had a great friend who was an amazing reader. And she um, she just blew me away, all the books that she read. And I said, Rachel, what did your friends do or your parents do to instill this love of reading in you? And she said, oh, well, we didn't have a TV growing up. And I was like, really? I just got curious. And so... I went home and I told my husband, Tyler, I said, what would you think if we just put the TV in the closet and just like pull it out for the Olympics and family movie night? And he's not really into sports. So it was an easy sell. <laughs> and he was like, sure. And so that kind of was the beginning of a little experiment of just, I think, practicing better screen time. Again, this is like before the iPhone even existed. So um, just kind of starting to think about that. And so as time passed, you know, things change and we, we can talk about that in a minute, but I, we, we love the outdoors and we live in Hood River, Oregon. And that's one of the reasons why we live here because we love doing all the things outside. So mm -hmm. that's amazing. So, you know, I would love to hear just for, especially maybe for parents who really aren't aware. Um, I know what my concerns are with screen time and I'll just tell you a little bit about my history with screens. So I grew up in a family where we had a TV in every room. We had TVs mm -hmm. in our bedrooms. We had no restrictions on TVs. Um, I remember, you know, in the evenings we would just watch whatever was on. I would, that was like my bonding time with my mom is we would watch shows together and I would watch TV at night to fall asleep first thing in the morning. I also did love to read though. So I am grateful that even without the restrictions, I do still remember days where I would spend all day, like in my room, just reading a book. Um, That's but awesome. I also know that it was addictive for me. And even as an adult with a social media based business, I have a hard time with screen time addiction. Um, and so just thinking about that and knowing that I didn't want my kids to be impacted quite as much as I was by screen time addiction and all of the things that come with that and with too much screen time and dysregulation, um, we did use screen time a little bit. I have two children. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And when my daughter was born, probably when she was like, 18 months to two and a half, we would, we started using a little bit of screen time, like just so that I could cook or, mm -hmm. get, you know, get something done quickly. Or like we would go on the plane and I would, you know, she would watch the tablet just on the plane so that she wasn't mm -hmm. you know, screaming and crying. Um, yeah. but then it became more and more. And when my son was born, um, I started doing like a, like a, an hour or an hour and a half screen time with her every day with my daughter, um, every day during his nap time, because it was the only way I felt like I could survive and get him yeah. to sleep. And <laughs> at the time we were also, we had also moved across the country and I was living with my mother-in-law. So we didn't have like all of our toys and all of our stuff. Yes. Um, and so it was just a really hard time. And I don't like blame myself for that. I would probably yes. do it again, honestly, but yeah. a year ago, a little over a year ago, we moved into our new house. We got settled down. And I said, 
no more screen time. I am seeing major behavior changes. I'm seeing major addiction tantrums anytime I say no to TV. Um, and it really just became a big issue. So we actually got a Yodo player. I don't know if you've heard of yes. that. Yeah, we have one. <laughs> it's amazing. And I kind of just slowly made that shift. And we we do have a TV in the basement, but we almost never turn it on. The only thing I use it for is like to do an exercise routine. Yeah. Um, she has not watched TV in over a year. Well, that's amazing. Like some like random times where she goes to like my cousin, her cousin's house and something's on. Um, yeah. But her behavior is so it's, it's just drastically different without the TV. I see such a huge difference. Um, and that addictive, that addictive component isn't there. Whereas, you know, the first couple of weeks of transitioning away from the screen, it was always asking and then always a big, massive emotional release when the answer was no. Now the question doesn't come up really, but if it yeah. does occasionally, um, it's not a big deal when I say, you know, we're not going to do that right now, or that isn't the best thing to do for your, for your brain right now. Um, and so anyways, that's just my like quick yeah. experience with screen time, but I do know that this is a really sensitive topic for a lot of parents. And, um, so I also just want everyone to know, listening, like we're not here to like be judgmental of parenting choices. We're not here to shame. There's none of that here. It really is just education. And even I've learned so much about the actual science of what's happening when children are watching certain shows and movies. Um, and I just think it's important for, for parents to be aware of that and what's going on. And so with all of that being said, I would love if you could just talk a little bit about some of the concerns that you have about screen time and why it is that you even do this. Yeah. Well, first I want to say, I love what you said about thinking about different seasons and stages in your life. And I think that's something we have to be really aware of as mothers, especially, or whoever is the main caretaker in the home, which quite often is the mom. And, you know, there's no, we don't want to beat ourselves up and <clears throat> we feel guilty about plenty of things. So there are might be seasons when life is crazy and yeah, you don't have access to toys. I've been through that. And perhaps you have to lean on a little bit more screen time than other times. So that, you know, setting that aside, I think it really starts with thinking about what do you want for your family and looking at this long-term approach and quite because I help parents who have kids of all ages, but I think especially teenagers, because quite often that's when the problems will pop up if children have had a lot of access to technology from the time they're young, because at this point, let's see, the iPhone came out in 2007. So at this point we are seeing, you know, there are teenagers obviously who have always seen a smartphone in their parents' hands and have just been raised in this digital age. And so the problems that parents of teenagers quite often are telling me is one, like that, device is what they turn to when they're bored, when they're tired, when they're anxious, when they're depressed, when they're lonely. And quite often they're just holding up in their room and with eyes glued to the screen and really have formed an attachment to this device. And what we found is um, there's a great researcher. His name is Dr. Dimitri Christakis. And he um, has worked at the Seattle Children's Hospital and he, as a pediatrician, could see that parents were bringing their kids in for vaccines or, you know, their regular checkups. And when the child would get 
upset because perhaps they had to get a shot or, or something happened, then parents were starting to just hand over their smartphone or a device to the child to help them to self, to self-soothe. And this was something that never used to happen because we didn't carry these many computers in our pockets. And I can tell you that because, because I have five kids and I've been parenting for a long time, I really, I've witnessed this just like by myself because my parent, my older kids obviously were, were not raised in that era of me having a smartphone for a while anyway. So, um, but he uses this line that I love and he says that, you know, children and toddlers need laps, not apps. And so what kind of we've created is teaching our kids to self-soothe or to comfort themselves with this device at an early age. And then we're surprised and upset when they're teenagers and they're obviously dealing with a lot more emotions and adolescence and growing up, and then they're turning to this, but it's almost like we've, we've taught them this behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's something that, you know, we have to be aware of. And as far as like my story, so I, again, was very conscientious of this. It wasn't that I never turned anything on. I had seasons like you where I had pregnancies and moves and different things and definitely turned on like a, a DVD from the library on the desktop, you know, that's like way old school. And then as later, you know, then it was Netflix and things like that. So it wasn't that I never turned anything on, but um, I was pretty aware of that, but our family made a huge move from Illinois to Oregon about five years ago. And at the time my oldest was in middle school and she was leaving all these friends behind, which is a horrible time to have to move. And we were moving to this new place where I didn't know anyone. And I wanted to be able to get in touch with her. So we handed over an abandoned smartphone as a tool. And that was all we thought my husband and I, we just thought our daughter's super responsible. We, this is a tool. She can communicate with her friends. She communicate with us, but our lives were chaotic at the time we were moving. My husband was starting a new job. We were trying to find a place to live. And so really, um, what happened as months passed, my daughter would come home from school. And instead of us having a conversation, like we used to have, she was instead like eating her after school snack, her bowl of cereal and just scrolling. And I was like, what's going on? What this, you know, we used to have a conversation, but now there's this device. That's kind of a wedge in our relationship and our ability to connect. And months after that, there were just a lot more red flags. And I realized, you know, we did not prepare her. We did not prepare ourselves for this huge responsibility. We went back to a brick phone because that's all there really was at the time with no data on it. And it was one of the best decisions we made. And we're like, hey, we're starting over. And that was really the beginning of better screen time because I thought parents need more help to be able to navigate this. So that's, that's kind of a bit of my background of why, why I do this. Yeah, that's, you know, and you were, you're saying how you didn't prepare her well enough for this responsibility. And I just have to say, I mean, my opinion is that none of us are prepared for this. Yes. I don't even <laughs> think adults are prepared. Like I said, I struggle with screen time addiction. I struggle with realizing, oh, I am mindlessly scrolling right now because it's the, it's the, the hit of endorphins. It's the, yes. the convenience, the fast access, the, like the never ending cycle of new things, entertainment. And, you know, if you, I don't go, I'm not on TikTok, but I've been on TikTok before. I know what it looks like. And yeah. I, I deleted TikTok for that reason, because I hated it. I literally yeah. hated it. I would get sucked into these videos of these teenagers dancing. And I was like, 
okay, if I'm getting sucked into this, imagine kids and teenagers with underdeveloped brains, how their brains are reacting to this. And so I think it's so important for parents to realize that, you know, no one is really prepared for the addictive nature of technology that is currently at our fingertips. Nobody is prepared for it because our brains are not designed for that. Yeah, it's so true. And if you look at adolescents, so they're the prefrontal cortex, that part of the brain that is responsible for decision-making is not fully developed until we're in our mid twenties. And so, like you said, even as adults, if we struggle with maintaining a healthy balance on our device, because they are designed to keep us hooked and, and to suck us in, then, you know, what does that mean for our kids and adolescents? And, and so, yeah, you hit the nail on the head, that that's what we have to be really aware of that. And actually TikTok, especially they've done studies and that their algorithm is the most, um, I guess, addictive one out of all the different social media platforms, they've pretty much got it dialed in to be able to, to just capture what people want and to keep giving them more. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to understand that this is intentional. They are literally yes. designing these algorithms to be addictive. So it is not an accident and it is intentional. Yeah. And we have to think so these, and these apps that we're using, I mean, you and I both use social media to share a message with parents. And so obviously we're aware that there's a a good side to Mm -hmm. using social media and technology, but, you know, looking at kids and adolescents, it's really is a different, we have to take a different approach and being mindful of, yeah, that this, these apps are free, but they are, but they're not free. Mm -hmm. They, um, capture our attention and they call that in the digital world, we call that your attention economy. And so while we may not be paying money to use Instagram or to use TikTok, we're paying our, with our attention. Yes. And our information and our interests and all of that, which is another (laughs) another conversation. (laughs) Yes, yes. it is. (laughs) Um, okay. So can you talk a little bit about your, your, you're talking about screen time boundaries. Can you talk a little bit about, um, what those boundaries might look like and how families can start to implement some screen time boundaries? Yes. So I think this is so important. I know sometimes families will come to me and they'll say, well, my kids don't have any devices. They might use some at school, but just my husband and I, or my spouse and I have a a phone. And so we don't really need to worry about it. And I say, if you have a phone as a parent, you need boundaries, like your family needs boundaries. And so it doesn't really matter how little or how old your kids are. It's so crucial that your family sits down and has a conversation and just comes up with a few boundaries that everybody can live by. And so we talk about creating a family tech plan and I like to break that down into just very simple questions. So where will you use screens? What will you do on them? When will you use them? How long is okay with who? So it's just kind of like that where, when, what, and then deciding where, where is not okay to use screens in our home. So for our family, we don't take screens into the bedrooms or the bathrooms. And that's something that we decided on like five years ago when we kind of all overhauled everything. And I realized that I need to do a better job of preparing my kids because even if I wasn't going to allow them, let's say on social media, they suddenly came home with devices from school. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they're just, especially since the pandemic, we've all had a lot more technology come into our lives. And so those boundaries need to be there. So even during the pandemic here in Oregon, 
we did online school for an entire year. I home, I ended up homeschooling my younger two during that time, but my older three knew that their school devices did not go into the bedroom. And so they sat in different places and our house is small. So it's a little over 1500 square feet and we have seven of us and my husband was home working too. So all seven of us were home, but they just put in their earbuds and their headphones and that's what we did. And I just think it really protected them from a lot of things because parents will come to me and they'll just say, yeah, well, we didn't, we kind of had that rule, but then during the pandemic, I let it slip. And then, you know, they wonder why, why their kids are in their room playing video games all day. So again, it's just like, decide what those healthy boundaries are for your family and talk about like, what's okay. What's not okay with who, you know, because again, you can make, create this perfect environment in your home. But once your children step out of that, whether a school or a friend's house, they need to have that internal filter of like, what, what lines aligns with my family's values when, you know, maybe those filters aren't in place on another device or the kid on the bus doesn't have filters on their device. And so again, I think it's so much more than just setting up the perfect filters and the perfect environment in your home. It's really about teaching your kids, you know, what that skill of discernment to be able to discern between like what, what's okay and what's not okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, you know, if you have a smartphone as a parent, you need to be setting boundaries. Um, and I agree with that. And I, I would love to hear, um, any advice that you have for parents for modeling healthy tech habits. And especially for, cause I know, you know, so many, especially moms, um, now have some sort of kind of job or way of making income on social media that requires a social media presence. That's just kind of the way that the world is now. Um, and that can be really challenging. I find that really challenging being home basically full-time with my kids. I have one day of childcare a week. Um, but other than that, I'm home with them. I'm the primary caregiver but I'm still working during those days. I'm still having to check emails and having to check social media messages and things like that. Um, so I would love to hear what you have to say about like how we can begin setting those boundaries while still doing the things that we need to do on our phone. Yeah. Well, first off, it's a tricky balance and I don't think anyone has it completely figured out. Um, I think the first tip is to be realistic with the season of life that you're in. So young children, especially younger than five require a lot of care and they require a lot of attention, um, because they're relying on you for a lot of things. I mean, a lot of physical and temporal needs that you're, as your kids get older, they kind of grow out of that part a little bit. Uh, for example, last night, my 13 year old made dinner and I, I worked for an hour while she was making dinner and I was nearby so I could answer any questions, but that was not possible for me a decade ago. <laughs> that That's nice. just, And so I think like being realistic and like, I, I am honestly amazed at the number of moms that seem to be able to, to work from home and run this huge social media presence with young children. To to be honest, I waited on, I waited for a long time to, to start a business for that reason, because for me, I I couldn't, but I also, I have five kids and my husband works full-time out of the house. So I just, but I did work for other people. And that was kind of my entry into like 
okay, like squeezing stuff in during nap time and getting up early and like putting the kids to bed. And so I think maximize those moments that you have because you do have that. Whereas once you get teenagers, they don't want to go to bed. And so you can't just like put everybody to bed and be like, Hey, I'm working, but maximize those times that you have when your children are young, whether that's early morning or my kids always got up early. So that really wasn't an option for me, but nap time. And after they went to bed, they went to bed pretty early. Um, just thinking about that. And like you said, getting some outside help is really beneficial. And then if there are those times during the day when it's just like you have a deadline or a time crunch and something that you need to get done and it's not nap time, then just again, being realistic that like you're likely going to get interrupted. Um, But also if your kids are old enough, like four or five, I think setting a timer is really helpful, like a visual timer that your kids can see and just saying, mom's gonna go work for 30 minutes. And I have three things I have to get done. Like just being really like, you know, specific with them. And when this timer is up, then you can come get me. And then obviously giving them some things to do and making some options available to them. And that's, I feel like at that age, it's kind of all that you can do. Um, and then I relied on friends a lot. We did a lot of trading, just Mm -hmm. trading kids. Um, as kids get older, then, you know, I've relied on them a lot more for helping with meals and helping with cleaning the house. And my teenager has even helped me in my business by making um, posts on Canva and those kinds of things. And so I think that's helpful if you're working is getting your kids involved in what you're doing, especially if it's something you believe in, like, that's not bad. Like, I feel like for my teenage girls, it's been really inspiring for them to see mom's working really hard at something that she believes in. And so I think that can inspire you rather than feeling guilt that, oh my goodness. And then also just being realistic with what is right for you. I don't do well with spending tons and tons of time on social media, like even posting. And I know that my social media has suffered because of it but my mental health has been better (laughs) because of Mm -hmm. it. So for example, I've mostly off social media the past 30 days, and I usually take a pretty big break in the summer. And, um, luckily I don't, I don't lose a lot of people, but obviously I'm not growing, but I come back with this kind of renewed sense of, okay, like this is why I'm here. And this is what my boundaries are. And I don't think you have to take 30 days. You could take two days and, Mm -hmm. and maybe that works for you. So I think just like know yourself, know, is this really, is this affecting me? Is it affecting my parenting? Maybe it's time to step back and just take a break and reevaluate a little bit. Yeah. I think, um, we could have a whole nother podcast episode on just like (laughs) setting social media boundaries for parents, especially parents who work on social media. Um, but I think one of the things that has helped me is having like very intentional and specific boundaries, like I will not be on the phone from this time to this time. And most phones like iPhones, I know have timers that you can, you can do lots of things. Like you can limit specific apps at certain times. You can put your phone in like downtime where you can't get onto certain apps and it's all customizable. So you can pick what you 
you can access versus not. Um, it gives you, you can have like, you can set it so that like, if I only want to spend two hours on Instagram in one day, like total, my phone will pop up and say, you have five minutes left on Instagram today. So it kind of gives me a warning and then it'll lock me out of the app. Um, so there's lots of things like that you can do if you really struggle with, like you need support to set those boundaries. Um, but then the other thing I think of is, you know, I, I, really like, I will sometimes take my kids, we'll walk to the park and I'll sit on the bench and I'll like be on my phone, answering emails or checking messages. And I'm like, what are, what's everyone thinking of me? They think I'm like that mom. Who's just not paying attention to her kids, but like, it's one of my only times to get stuff done when my kids are playing and they're, they're fine on their own. And I'm, I'm watching them. Mm -hmm. Um, but the thing I think about too, is, you know, what is there a difference? Like from our kids' perception, is there a difference to them when we are working on our phone versus when we're just scrolling our phone? Like when we say, I have to work for 10 minutes and it looks like I'm just scrolling my phone, do that, does that impact their relationship with technology in the same way that if I'm just like sitting on the couch, literally scrolling social media, does that question make sense? And I'm, yeah. I'm wondering your thoughts about that. I think the important thing is, like you said, to be clear with your intentions and to really think, do I need to be doing this right now? Is this the, is this where I need to be? Like, I ask myself that question a lot, like physically, you know, where you are, but mentally, where's your headspace and are you where you need to be? So maybe at that moment at the park that you feel like you need 10 minutes to do those things. And I, my friend, Emily Trickin uses this line. She says to live your tech life out loud with your kids. And I really like that. So like you said, communicating and saying, letting your kids know that you're working, you're not just scrolling is really important, but then just being mindful as well. Like, is, is this the right time? And, and that's going to be different for everyone. Like whether it's the right time to be on their phone or, or not on their phone, um, obviously like safety is always important. And so I used to teach swimming lessons and was a lifeguard. And so I think, I think about this a lot, but like, obviously there are times and places when we shouldn't be on our phone, like at the pool, uh, with our kids or, you know, walking or biking, like when we're driving, like making sure that you use that driving function function on your, on your phone so that you're not checking your phone at stoplights. So like, I think it's just like having those boundaries and maybe that time at the park is a time when you decide to work. And so that that's totally a personal decision, but then just letting your kids know that that's what you're doing and you're not just like wasting time. Yes. <laughs> scrolling for sure. Um, okay. So you use the term tech training wheels. So how can we use tech training wheels and take a slow tech approach so that we don't give our kids too much too soon? Yes. Well, I'm speaking from experience, obviously that I have done it wrong and then turned around and tried to do it right. And I think it's just, as you build that family tech plan and you decide like how your family's going to use tech, you can really kind of observe your kids and see how well do they follow through with this and how well do they comply? And are they willing to have calm conversations about how we use tech? And that can really help you as they grow to know when they're ready for more, but also I think it's important to keep in mind quite, quite often parents that give their, give their kids when they're maybe like nine or 10, when they give them a phone, 
they'll be like, oh, well, they were super responsible with it until they were 12 or 13. <laughs> and so I think it's important to keep those um, developmental stages in mind because yes, you might feel like you can hand something over early because you've got this super obedient, responsible child, but kids change and they quite often they change a little bit. I mean, not always, but during um, their teenage years. So I think it's just really smart to start with family devices rather than a personal device. So something like, it, so we use um, a Gab phone and it's just, a, so it looks like a smartphone, but it has no internet access on it. And again, that wasn't available mm-hmm. back when I made my mistake of handing over our abandoned smartphone, but those things are available now. There's also a Trumi phone and a Pinwheel phone that allow just certain apps that have kind of been vetted by researchers to make sure like these are kids safe. And, um, but for us, like just with my background in education and, and having parented for a while now, I really just believe that childhood is a gift and it's a time for kids to explore and to learn and to be outside and to read books. And I just think as technology's changed, but what children need has not. That, mm-hmm. that really won't ever change those basic needs of needing to be loved, of sleeping, of physical activity, all those things haven't changed and they, they won't change because we're human and those are basic human needs. And so that's my main, um, I guess, concern and worry is that screen time often will take the, take away the time that kids spent using that. So just thinking about those training wheels, think, you know, what does my child need at age three? What does my child need at age six? And just keeping things really simple and slow. And the research shows that actually a interactive screen, like a tablet or a smartphone is more addictive, has more of those addictive qualities than just watching TV. And I know it seems counterintuitive, but allowing your child to watch like a slow moving TV show, something even back from my era, Mr. Rogers or Sesame Street is actually better than choosing an interactive game where they're, you know, you think, oh, they're learning, but they're like going here and there that causes more of a dopamine spike in the brain than just a TV show does. So again, like when you're going to pick something, be mindful of that. And then as they get older, you're just kind of watching and observing. And then we have this evaluation to kind of, once you have a child asking for a phone, you can um, print this out. It's on our website, betterscreentime.com, but it just asks a series of questions to kind of evaluate, help them self-evaluate their responsibility and their emotional maturity. So you can kind of talk through with them about, Hey, these are things that you need to be able to do. Like do your chores without being asked and get up for school on your own without someone waking you up. Like in my mind, those are certain things that someone should do before they have a phone or a device of their own. Yeah. I think that's really helpful. And I like how you are kind of, you're talking about how it's, it's, it really should be tailored to the individual child and, and what their capabilities are, because it's not just, well, you know, a five-year-old should only have this much screen time and an 11-year-old should have a phone or should not have a phone. It doesn't really depend on the age. It depends on, you know, they're all different. They all have different personalities. And, um, and I just think back to, I mentioned that right now we don't do any screen time in our house and 
that might not be what other families need to do. That's just the choice that Mm -hmm. I've made. And I get asked sometimes, well, what are you going to do when your daughter needs a phone? Or are you going to, is this, is it going to be this way forever? And I said, well, I don't know yet. We're not there yet right now. This is what we need because my daughter is very, very sensitive and very, she can be very, um, her emotions can be very, very big. And so what I've noticed is that if she watches TV one time, it's almost like we go 20 steps backwards mm, and interesting. she just gets addicted very quickly. And so for us, it's not worth the headache yeah. of allowing any screen time. Um, and maybe in a couple of years that will be different. Maybe in a couple of years, she'll be more able to handle small amounts of screen time. So I love that you're emphasizing that it's really individual, um, to each child and what, what, what works for one family and one child might not work for the next family and child. Exactly. And you know, your child better than anyone. So, and again, you're the one that has to deal with the consequences when behavior does go awry because they've had too much screen time. And so, and you can see, you can visibly see that difference, that behavior switch. And I I've witnessed that in my own kids. So you're like, yeah, it's just not worth it. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like tech, it, we're really, um, what am I trying to say? Parents that are trying to be mindful of screen time. I feel like we are going against like a very strong wind because it seems more and more like the world society is really moving more and more towards everything is digital and everything is online. Like something that bothers me so much is when you go to a restaurant now, most of them don't give you paper menus anymore. They ask you to pull it up on your phone. And as we're trying to, you know, instill these values in our children and not do every single thing on our phone. So like, even, you know, I bought a CD player because I don't want to have to pull up my phone to listen to music with my kids. Like I want to be able to use the CD player and not, cause it's just, it adds to that addiction. Anytime I'm grabbing my phone, I'm like, Oh, what, why don't I check my email while I'm here? Or, um, you know, whatever. So how in a world that is moving more and more towards being online, being all digital, what are some ways that we can protect and prepare our kids for this world? Yeah. Again, I think it starts with having a lot of conversations and it's not like, wow, when I was a kid, I mean, but sometimes it's how it sounds, but just kind of like thinking, reminding our kids and our teenagers that they are going to have to protect their white space and they are going to have to protect their mental health. And that otherwise the, these devices will seep into take all of their time and into their headspace if they allow it, because there's a researcher named Adam Alter. He wrote a book called irresistible. So it was really fascinating. He talks a lot about the addictive qualities of the devices that we use, but he talks about something called stopping cues and previously and previous generations, but especially when you just think about TV of like my generation of growing up, we had these natural stopping cues where a show would come on at a certain time, it would end at a certain time, and then we would move on. We would go do something else. And again, this is like my childhood. We had four channels and it was Mm. like, you know, just really basic. And, but now we, those stopping cues are not there anymore. So if we go into Netflix you know, unless we go in and change the settings, there's just autoplay, same with YouTube. And it's designed to just keep going. Same with social media, where the scroll never ends, right? The feed never ends. And so I think having those conversations with our kids that you are going to have to design your own stopping cues. And of course, when they're little as parents, it's our responsibility to do that for them. And that's why like 
creating that family tech plan is so important at deciding how your family is going to use screens or not use them. But as our kids get older and become teenagers, then it's more of a conversation of helping them create their own stopping cues so that when they leave home, they are thinking about, you know, when they need to turn off devices or what things might be more addictive for them. And so I think it starts with having a conversation and also modeling for them, which again, it is hard to do. And especially if you are maybe using your phone to run a business or whatever, but I will often tell my kids, Hey, I'm taking a break from Instagram for a couple of weeks. And I think they can tell that I'm more present. Um, I also, I leave my phone at home on date night. So we have date night every Saturday night. So when I go out with my husband, I leave my phone at home and I just found that that's better for me. And one night it was like during the pandemic, we went to go get takeout and I was just sitting in the car. Wait, my husband went in to get it and it was taking forever. And I like wound up turning on the radio and there was like a radio drama on and I was just <laughs> sitting there listening to it. Cause it's like, we forget that we don't even know what to do with yeah. downtime, which mm-hmm. is sitting there. And so I think again, like modeling it for our kids. So I'm like, yeah, I'm leaving my phone home because it's date night. And then Sunday is also a day when I've always taken a social media break. And um, I just don't use social media on Sunday, but I also just try to not get on my device very much on Sunday. There's some things where I'm texting or we'll FaceTime the grandparents. And so that's not, we're not so strict that we don't do that, but Um, that is just one way that we can help our kids. If we kind of implement those practices in our own home, whether they choose to follow through with those things when they leave home or not, that's up to them. It's like everything else in life. But to me, it's kind of like the practice of maybe taking your shoes off when you come into the home or maybe just some simple things like that, where your kids realize, oh yeah, our Wi-Fi turns off at 1030. So I can't get my homework done after that point. And that means that my mom and dad are off their devices too, because the Wi-Fi turns off at 1030. And um, so I think just setting up some things like that can be really helpful for our kids. Yeah, I think so too. And, and I, I think it, you, you know, you're talking mostly about it's modeling. And I think that's so true. And I think that's true with most aspects of parenting and this one too. It's really like, well, any question, well, how do I get my child to stop yelling? Well, how are you responding when you're upset with them? I mean, that's me. I'm talking to myself here. I'm very open about, I am very reactive. I grew up in a very reactive home and it's something that I really struggle with. Um, but I think it's also hard because if we really want change or if we really want to just instill something that's very important to us in our children, it usually comes down to, well, how are we practicing those things too? And I think that's hard for us because it requires us to really work on ourselves. And I think this is no different. And we really, we get a chance to um, see very clearly where maybe our struggles and our flaws are, and we have to address those. um, I think really before we can expect our children to behave the way they want or practice the things we want them to practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. Okay. So, um, if we feel like we've kind of messed up or given our children too much access to technology or maybe too much free reign on technology, how can we move forward and start to correct that? I think the first step is to, you know, obviously recognize it. The second to 
voice it and tell your kids. I have let things get a little out of control. And there are a lot of things I didn't understand about technology that I now understand. So obviously like listening to a podcast like this, or just reading a book like glow kids or how to reset your child's brain, like kind of educating yourself, but then like telling your kids, I didn't realize that this would completely take over our lives and that we needed to have some boundaries. So we're going to kind of start over and it might be painful and it is because I've done it. And then it really just starts with sitting down with your kids and creating that family tech plan and deciding, okay, what are we going to do different? And even like, you can make a list of like the ways that you feel technology has negatively affected your family. And how can you flip that around? Like I always try to make the conversation positive, but um, we have a discussion guide on Amazon called creating a tech healthy family. And it kind of walks families through this process of really starting with just talking about the pros and cons of tech. So like you make a thumbs up list and you make a thumbs down list. And I think that's a good place to start because you're not even changing anything at that point. You're just recognizing that technology has a, a good side and kind of a bad side. And honestly, it's a lot like food. It's something that we kind of need now in, in our day and age, unless we're going to go live completely off the grid. And so we have to make decisions about like those di digital vegetables and digital candy and how we're, you know, going to consume and use them so that we can basically have a healthy life. And I think like using analogies like that are really, is really helpful with kids. Yeah. And I love how you mentioned, you know, being honest with your children about, you know, you didn't know before, and now you've learned something new. And that's exactly what I did with my daughter when we started transitioning away from screen time. And she was only like three and a half or four at the time. Um, and, and the way that we did it was I learned kind of about the specific shows that she was watching were very, very fast moving and bright mm -hmm. lights and bright sounds. And so we transitioned to first watching some other shows that were more slower moving and mm -hmm. things like that, that were better for her brain. And she was very, very upset because she wanted to watch specific shows and she didn't understand why she could watch this show, but not that show. And so that's what I said to her. I said, you know, I used to let you watch that show um, because I didn't know that this was maybe impacting your brain in this particular way. Um, and now I have learned, and I, I know now that this show is a little bit more healthy for your brain. And so you can even use that for very young children, just really yeah. simplify it. Um, but I, I think that. that's also just a really good example of showing kids that we're not perfect and that we are always also learning and open to being wrong and open to new information. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I love that. I love that you did that. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. So I have learned so much from you, Andrea. I wish we could continue this conversation for much longer. There's so much <laughs> on this topic to talk, to talk about. Um, I do wanted to just say that from, I think it was in season one. I do, we do have an episode with, um, Greta. I can't remember her last name. Oh yeah. Eskridge. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so we do have an She's episode. Great. If you, it's more about protecting our kids from like porn and yeah. predators online. And so we didn't get really into that topic here. Um, but there is a whole podcast episode about that in season one, if you want to go back and listen to that. And, um, that was also a really informative episode. So yeah, she's Andrea, awesome. Yes. Yeah, she's wonderful. Um, Andrea, thank you so much for being here with us today. Can you please tell everybody who's listening, who wants to learn more from you or find you, um, where they can, where they can find you, where they can learn more from you. 
Yes. So you can find us on betterstreamtime.com. Ironically, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Better Screen Time. We're primarily on Instagram. And then we have several online courses, which you can also find on our website, betterscreentime.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. And I know it will help so many people listening. Thanks so much, Taylor. I also wanted to let you guys know that Andrea was kind enough to give us a 20% off coupon for her courses, but it's for a limited time only. So today is August 15th. The episode is coming out today on August 15th. If you're listening to it today, um, the 20% off coupon will last until the end of August. So through August 31st. So, um, to save 20% off, you can use the code Taylor. She has two courses. One is for younger kids, so between the ages of 5 and 13, and it's called Creating a Tech Healthy Family. And the second course is for teenagers 12, uh, 12 and up, and it's called Untangling Teens and Tech. So these are both great options for helping to navigate um, your technology struggles in your family. Use the code Taylor, and you can find that linked in the show notes. You guys, I'm so excited to share active skin repair with y'all. I started using this product a few months ago with my family and it has replaced so many different products in my medicine cabinet. We are always looking for more natural, non-toxic solutions and active skin repair replaces Neosporin and ointment um, and all kinds of things. And it really can be used for so much. It can be used for minor wounds, cuts, burns, chafing, rashes, insect bites, really any skin irritation. I even have been using it for diaper rash and irritation recently, and it's amazing. And the great thing about it is that it is non-toxic, it's antibiotic-free, um, and it doesn't sting. So it's safe to use around the head, the eyes, the mouth, and the ears, and it really works. So you can go to bldgactive.com and use the code Taylor to save 10% off of your order and get free shipping. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one -one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.